All right, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast, episode number 207. I'm your host, Bailey Eibrett, and as always, join with me, the captain, Mr. Andrew Full. What's going on, dude? Sunburned. What's going on with you? <laughs> you got roasted <laughs> so bad today. <laughs> I don't know if you can see it on my hands, but I got quite the tan lines going on here, too. Yeah, dude. We're, we're doing great. If people are watching this on the YouTube, like, literally, it looks like I have gloves on because my arms are pasty and my hands are just tan as can be. But, yeah, dude, it was a choice for you today between taking a sunburn or wearing a completely wet face mask that I had at the bottom of my tackle bag. Sunburn. Sunburn. He went sunburn. But, yeah, dude, today today was a, to be completely honest, from my front was a complete roller coaster. Uh, a huge positive side on the fact that Caught my personal best, six pounds, seven ounces, and that you and I put down a 27-pound uh, bag up on these fish up here in the north, uh, but also had some crazy stuff on happening on the personal side, which I won't even get into, uh, but just know that everything is all good now. Yeah, um, that was wild. I felt so bad, and I was yeah. like, oh. <laughs> like a crushing Whoa. defeat, but we're good now. We're back on track. Hopefully, knock on wood, that all goes well. If it does, you guys will – this this episode is going to post on a Wednesday. If all goes well, you guys would have already know what I'm talking about on Monday Night Live. If not, you'll, I'm sure you'll hear about it on uh, on Friday's episode because uh, we're pre-recording this one, and we have a really cool show today. But before we get into today's show, I want to talk a little bit more about today because today was a lot of fun because that was the biggest bag you and I have ever put in the book together. Uh, yeah. And that was, correct me if I'm wrong, your biggest bag of green fish you've ever dropped. Yeah, fun fish and tournament. Yeah, that was that was something. And it, it seemed like every time I'd catch a four-pounder or four-and-a-half, you'd freaking catch a five. So it's like, <laughs> what is going on? I think I had one fish out of our best five because my biggest one was four-eight all day, and you just dropped fives and sixes on me. So, so Well, we had, we had a four-eight five, a four, eight, five uh, a 4.85 was 27 pounds. That's kind of what the bag was. So we had some good fives in there. Um, and I broke off an absolute giant. And, you did break off a giant. Who knows what we would have touched if that would have called out yeah. that floor. Who knows? Yeah, uh, I don't know. Coulda, coulda, woulda, but it is what it is. It's fishing. But either way, dude, uh, you went on a tear at the end of the day. Yeah, that uh, was right. Like 15 fish to one. Like, they <laughs> wanted what you had way more than what they had for me. Like, dude. it was it was kind of fun to watch because you were just every single cast and you were wailing <laughs> on them. They were only like two, three pounders, but still, you were just like, it was a lot of fun to watch. I would cast it out. We're fishing, I don't know, a flat, and I would cast it, hit the bottom, and then pop it. The sw- I was popping the swim bait, and then I would just kind of quick twitch it and kill it, and all of a sudden, the rod would just load up for mm-hmm. like 15 casts out of 20. I think I caught a fish. Like It was just dumb, yeah. and it was brown and green, so it was a ton of fun. We yeah, we were going back and forth on just brown and green fish, brown and green and brown and green. We were we were throwing football jigs, we were throwing small swim baits at like very isolated targets, Target. basically just simply just target fishing and just creeping it. Like yeah. absolutely creeping it. And all you'd feel like which was it was actually kind of cool because that six pounder was like my worst bite of the day because it was just mush. But like every five pounder was like you reel and you're ticking, ticking, ticking. And then you feel dung, and then you lose all slacks, and then you're just reeling to catch up, and then you're just leaning. And that's why I was telling you today, like, 
a small swim bait bite is probably one of my most favorite bites on planet earth. So to do that, to have 27 pounds doing that, that was a whole lot of fun. And not argue with that at all, but, um, probably going to head back out in the morning. I got some more content creation to do for some clients and uh, hopefully we'll sneak in some fishing as well to get on some more bags. But it was, it was a really fun day, dude. It was actually absolutely awesome. I you don't know how much we're going to make for What's that? You should just jack the community hole tomorrow so morning. Go to the community holes in the film. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see what I feel in the morning. But uh, I think most more importantly, uh, we have a really cool guest today. We have on the president from Alpha Angler Rods, Mr. Jake Boomer. And uh, he's got a really cool story. So we're going to bring him on here in a second to uh, not only talk about um, Alpha Angler Rods and kind of the, the history about it, but talk about Jake and himself because I know he's got a lot of big dreams and aspirations and comes from uh, some very talented fishing. So uh, I think without further ado, I think we bring him in here to get him to chat with us. Mr. Jake Boomer, what's going on, man? <laughs> uh, doing good. How are you guys? Doing all right. Good. Probably better than uh, – chilly old in idaho over there back in the west yeah it's not really fair to listen to your big fish 15 for 20 cast story sitting here almost hung up on you guys yeah <laughs> sorry about okay. that that's good I, I don't want to talk to you guys <laughs> well folks that'll be all for today we will see you guys on friday <laughs> well dude yeah. you were we were talking offline and you said somebody dropped 34 pounds I did, uh, yeah, uh, Bryson, yeah, a uh, buddy of mine, team partner of mine, Bryson Morton, his partner, Gabe Literal, caught 33.94 on Coeur d'Alene Lake on Sunday. <clears throat> and there was a one-day tournament the day before, and I think they had 32-something to win. Oh, and you know what? You know when those really suck is when you're the guy that caught 27 or 25. Yeah. Like on day, on, yeah, day one, there was a guy that caught 25, 96 or something like that. And you know, he came to the scales thinking, you know, I probably got this. And he got beat by like seven pounds. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, that's well, when. I, yeah, you're coming in. You got like you got like a dirty 30, right? And you're like, yeah, dude, we got this in the bag. And you show up and they're like 32 in 34 in your face. Oh, and you're man. like, ah. Well, this sucks. I'm never fishing tournaments again. Just pick <laughs> the tail between your legs and just walk away in defeat, I guess, at that point. You're just like, man. Which yeah, is crazy because totally. it's like 30 pounds. Like, I couldn't imagine how guys felt like when, uh, when like Dean Rojas dropped like that absolute mega bag. Was it the record? Oh, yeah. 46 pounds and guys come in at like 35. They're like, yeah, I got this. And 46 pounds in your Dude. face. And it's like, <laughs> what? Like, how do you even feel about that? Yeah, yeah I, I would I would say this. It'd be better to get beat by like seven pounds than get beat by like three ounces. You know what I mean? Like, all right, like yeah. that dude just destroyed me and I'll take it and be happy. But if you get like 32 or something like that and some guy's got 3203, those are tough ones to suck up. Yeah. yeah. Smallmouth derbies on Lake Erie's. It's funny. Yeah. Like all of our fall tournaments will be like 27 26 9 26 8 26 7 26 5 and then slowly go down from there and like yeah. it's like oh my best day i've ever had on the water we're gonna win then somebody drops like 28 and you're just like <laughs> yeah what do you do about it yeah you lose by a couple totally. ounces and you're like yeah that shad that it spit up i really should have stuffed that back <laughs> in my mouth <laughs> go be here yeah, I got a good story, and I'm gonna use. I got to tell you guys this because I'm. I want everybody that's listening to hear that they need to come to the Columbia River, uh, MPFL, Bass, FLW, come to the Columbia River. 
But uh, we fished a tournament, a team partner and I, years ago, and we had 25 pounds. We had a nine-pound largemouth. I mean, this place is crazy, right? And so that means we also had four-pound average smallmouth. We had 25-some pounds. And we came in, and we thought, there's no way. Like, tournaments normally get one with, like, 19 or 20 pounds. We got – we're going to win this. And the best part of the whole story is we didn't win, and we didn't get big fish. What? And I, I remember, like, everybody was like – I don't think we got anything. <laughs> we got second across the board. Yeah. But that, that hurts. That's that stings. one hurt a little that bit. Stings. You know? <laughs> a little bit yeah. Good grief. Well, yeah, dude, yeah, we, what you're saying, Andy? I was going to say a couple of years ago, Bass was supposed to go to the Columbia. Mm-hmm. And um, I have a good buddy in Oregon who loves the Columbia River. And he's like, it's a hidden gem and there's big fish everywhere especially on the green side and i know he was super like upset when they pulled that derby yeah well and 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 i get i bet bailey will bring this up too when we talk but the the northwest is such a landlocked i mean we're so far away from everything so Mm -hmm. to have like bass coming it was a big deal for everybody around here and 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 all of the fishermen and the industries i mean the boat dealership that i fished for was gonna have a booth there it was a big deal i mean hotel rooms were booked out just to, just to kind of like this. I mean, the only thing that would be harder would be as if they threw the tournament in Alaska, <laughs> you know, right. we were that excited. So it was a real bummer for us. Well, hopefully they make good on it and go back eventually. Yeah. I think they will. Yeah. Uh, it's something I've honestly never really seen or looked into is the Columbia river and out, out in the Northwest. Right. I mean, the Northwest, you don't think bass fishing. You think like, to me, in my mind, I think of that, I think of like steelhead or like sturgeon, something like that. When I'm sure you probably – do you run into more bass guys than anybody else out there when you're at the ramp, or is it trout? Or is, I don't even know in the Northwest what it would be. No, it's it's bass. I mean, we had a <clears> – Berkeley throws a, a big bass tournament here every once a year. It had 200 boats in it. And, you know, 10 or 20 miles or maybe a little bit farther away, we had another 40-boat tournament and another 30-boat tournament. There's a lot of guys up here that are fishing. We're, they're buying boats like crazy. It's funny because you're driving down the road, and when I first started fishing up here, you knew everybody. You'd be like, oh, that's so-and-so, and you see his bass boat go by. I, I don't know anybody now, which I think is I think is awesome. I love the growth of the sport, you know, is even though we're so far away from, like, you know, maybe what you would call the hub or the epicenter of competitive bass fishing – it's we call it the shark tank up here you know we've got and i said this in another interview it's just nobody can actually it's so hard to leave and figure out a way to travel so far to fish these major tournaments on the east coast they just swim around in the pool in the northwest and eat each other for lunch you know same group of guys <laughs> go up, eat each other up come back yeah. the next weekend do it again yeah oh, yeah really really fast before we really start hopping into the show here so you said it was kind of like exciting to like watch essentially from your area, watch the sport grow so much, which is awesome. And I could see that in areas like that, but do you think to an extent, like guys say on in Tennessee or like Alabama are probably sick and tired of hearing here and let's grow the sport because they already have 500 boats on their legs every <laughs> single day. Yes. <laughs> I know. Like, the best part about it is that they, everybody complains about it. Last year with COVID and nobody could have tournaments, there was people in the water constantly. They're on the water every day. But then the first non-COVID year, we've got a 32 and a 33-pound bag. You know what I mean? Like fishing yeah. is still good. So yeah. I don't know. 
I was listening to a show that Alex Rudd did, a buddy of ours, and he had a fishing biologist on, and he pretty much said, like, the fish will adjust to fishing pressure, but in no way, shape, or form will fishing pressure ever destroy a lake. He says there's too many fish in a body of water to ever affect it like that. It's just more of these hotspot areas that anglers are mostly that the fish learn and get smart and obviously become harder to catch. I thought it was actually yeah. super interesting because a lot of people say, oh, fishing pressure destroyed this place. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. And I think, <clears throat> I mean, I think as from a business perspective, the way I, I look at it is you have a sport that the more people that come into it, uh, I, I don't think it impacts it. It makes it better. But we have a sport that you can get into it, not just on the fishing side of it, but you can get into it on everything else. Right. You can't name another sport, professional sport, you know, soccer, basketball, you name one where you could bring your own inventions, your own stuff you built, you know, like alpha angler, bring your own fishing rods, but even more so bring like the chatterbait, right? Somebody that just was a fisherman brought something that revolutionized the sport because this sport allows for it. And I think that's cool. I think the more fishing that we do, the better the sport's going to get. The fish might get tired of getting hooked, but we'll just figure out a way to hook them again. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's the one thing that we figured out. Yeah. Maybe they don't need a jig as good as they could, but we'll put a blade on it and we'll catch them again. You know, <laughs> that's what I think is cool about it. So the more yeah. people doing it, I actually think it's better. It's not better in the more middle of a tournament on Ufala when they launch 250 boats out of the south end, 100 out of the north end. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> all your stuff's very covered good. up. It's yeah. a very good point. <laughs> yeah. Shoo. Well, dude, one thing I really love, I would love to learn and I'm very curious about is uh, how you got in fish? How you got into fishing in the first place? And you're new to the show, and this is something that we like to cover um, before we kind of get into the depths of the episode of how you got into bass fishing in the first place, and who was like that person that kind of installed that passion in you that obviously is still driving you today. Yeah, um, super competitive guy. So I was doing a bunch of other sports, and I was probably in my late twenties. I hated fishing because the only fishing I'd ever done was. Uh, sitting on a bucket on on the ice you know we call that a picnic on the ice I didn't know my type a personality was gonna sit wasn't gonna do that and uh, actually this is crazy because it's a small world right everybody knows Luke Clausen mm-hmm. well, I went to high school with Luke Clausen's team partner Mark Lippincott and uh, I had somebody said hey just go fishing with Mark you're, you know you're bored I had gotten out of another sport I'd spent too much time doing that and thought I need to you find something a little bit more constructive and Mark took me once and it was a downhill slide. And it wasn't so much about catching bass. That was cool. It was uh, the competition. The first tournament I did, I was in, I mean, I could have gotten dead last. It didn't matter. There's something something pretty cool about the way a bass tournament lays out. You know what I mean? That there's so many decisions in it. It's not the tallest or the biggest guy. You know what I mean? You get beat just as bad by a 79 year old guy and an old Cajun as you get by one of these, you know, awesome 23 year old college kids, you know, yeah. I was just going to say nothing beats a tournament morning, the jitters that you get. And especially it doesn't beat it. Obviously, you know, if you don't win or whatever, it's not as great of a feeling, but like when you come to the scales with a bag, that feeling of walking up that excitement to drop something on the scales, the euphoria. Yeah. There's no beating that. Nothing Sorry. like waking up an hour before your alarm goes off and sitting there pondering where you're going to make your first cast or if it's going to be blowing the wrong way because the weatherman was wrong again. <laughs> Do you experience those issues up there in Idaho too? The 
the weatherman's poor accuracy for the weather forecast. <laughs> yeah, the weatherman is another word for liar. Right. <laughs> if I was off that much in my normal job and missed the boat, we'd that all much, be fired. Fired. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah Only totally. job you can be wrong ninety nine percent of the time and still be employed. Yeah. <laughs> but the, my favorite thing about bass tournaments is the planning and the the so much anxiety goes into this plan that never works on tournament. Yeah. The one thing I like. And maybe one time in my whole career has a plan ever worked. You know what I mean? If you're not calling an audible in the first half an hour and you want to, and, and this is one of the things I do, the, I did it at the MPFL at Ufala. I stuck that plan out till 1230. Didn't have a bite. <laughs> yeah. Just like, man, you just got to adjust every day, every minute. So, yeah. It's almost kind of like becoming to this point where it's like, you have two really good days of practice. You figure out a deal. You're like, okay, what's the trick? What's going to happen here because it's too good to be true. Yeah, here to, especially with smallmouth. We did here today, gone tomorrow. Their plan oh, yeah. is to leave you hanging every time. So how so many times have you gone into a tournament with a plan? You made like five casts and all of a sudden you're like throwing it out the door. I feel like I do that all the time. It's like I'm going to oh. throw eating this in practice. And you make like five casts and you're like something just doesn't feel right. And you'll pick up like the next route and stick one. Then you'll do that all day long. I wish I could do that. I wish I could. I wish it only took me five casts to realize something's going away. Because <laughs> normally it takes like about ten o'clock. Oh man, you're gonna zero. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, if you stick this out a little bit longer, you could come in with a big goose egg. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> yeah, I remember like a perfect example. MPFL. The last day of practice, I fished the uh, this area that everybody said was should be amazing. It hadn't been amazing in three weeks worth of tournaments, and I had 13 bites in the last day, last two hours of practice. I'm like, <clears throat> this is where they're coming. It's what I'm gonna do. And I remember like at about 10:30, looking around, going, "There is not another person on this flat with me." <laughs> and I'm still wailing away. They're gonna they're gonna turn on any minute. I wish I would have just. I wish I would have been unstable and just said, "I can't do this at nine. I would have probably made the top ten in that event. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that's a thing, man. Like that's tournament fishing. It's like you could be, you could be more knowledgeable than the, than the next guy, but like if you don't make that decision that that person does, you're not gonna do well. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, there's but. so many uncontrollable variables that go into it that are slightly controllable, but they're really out of your control. Like if you're getting bit the day before, you would think instantly those fish are gonna be there, and then when they're they ghost you. You're like, you're not a small mouth. Like, why are you doing this? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> what, one of the best pieces of advice I've gotten from one of my pro buddies was, <clears throat> I'll never forget this. He goes, it doesn't matter why they changed. Pro bass fishermen, fishermen in general, they want to, they want to know why, you know, we have all these Bassmaster magazines with all of the, well, they do this when the wind blows blah, blah. And we have these, we want to, we want to put logic behind why, why things happen because it makes us feel less crazy when we're going out on the water chasing mm-hmm. these, these very small brained animals. It doesn't, all you have to realize is it doesn't matter that they changed. It's just, they changed. They changed. Yeah. But like, I could, well, they shouldn't have changed. I'm going to stick this out another two hours and zero. You know what I mean? That's my problem. Yeah. I think that is the, the biggest mistake. And it's something I make all the time is like, you sit there and you're thinking your brain of it, like almost like a textbook, because that's like what you're drilled in during school is like, 
things have to be this, 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 and if this means this, then that means that, right? You're thinking this mathematical thinking. We're like, well, you know, it's sunny. It got wind. They've got to eat a jerk bait. They're not going to eat something else. Yeah. And like, it you're thinking it's textbook, so it has to be like this. When really, it's there is no rules in fishing. There's suggestions of what could be what could work at the time. Like Andrew caught a four and a half pounder, slick calm glass, high sun, clearest like clearest water, crystal clear on a black and blue chatterbait. Black and blue chatterbait. <laughs> It makes no sense, right? Then like, again, and that fish ate it, choked it. The so only like, one we caught, it was down its throat. Only one. That's <laughs> after so crazy. like forty minutes after. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I don't want to say throw those those logics away. I remember Carl Yakuson was leading the Bass Open Championship the last year they did the Bass Open Championship. He was leading it like after two days. I got to talk to him after that, and he had been throwing a glide bait. And I remember him saying, he's like, on the days. That, that glide bait should have been useless. I caught 20 pounds on the day that it should have been the deal, and I couldn't get a bite on it. You know what I mean? I remember that very vividly. You know, it's all that math, and maybe that's the fishing pressure changes those fish to, you know, that yeah, they're gonna throw a jerk bait when the wind blows, so I'm gonna go deep. You know, <laughs> the heck yeah. with this. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. They know what's coming. Yeah, the that book says this. <laughs> Let's yeah. throw a curveball. <laughs> that fish are sitting there, it's Oh, it's sunny and windy. Oh, watch out for that thing that's jerking around up above our head. A bunch of dribble hooks hanging off. <laughs> Don't eat that thing. <laughs> that rattle sounds wrong. <laughs> you want to know the worst part about they were laughing about this, but we we lost a boat to that exact scenario last fall. We were leading oh. it after day one. The wind blew on day two, and we did. We stayed shallow with reaction baits and. <laughs> it just felt so dumb when it was over. I think in the last hour we caught a couple big ones and then we were in like 35 feet of water. It's just that math isn't always there in fishing, right? You know, oh, windy, yeah. go, you know, go crankbait, windblown banks. And it's not there. Yeah. So, anyways. Yeah. Well, dude, picking up where you were kind of, where you were mentioning, you know, you got into tournament fishing when a buddy recommended that you fish with Luke Lawson's tournament partner. Um, kind of pick up back from there where you kind of decided, you know, to get into tournament fishing, expand in bass fishing, and then where you kind of decided where you wanted to obviously take off and kind of create this, not only create this business, but go after tournament bass fishing as a career. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, you know, long story short, I started making rods about 2011, I think is when I actually made the name Alpha Angler. And it was really just the cool thing, like I said about this, this, uh, this sport is anybody can be part of it. And I've got an engineering degree and kind of that tinkering mentality. And, and I remember just thinking that I could do this my own way. And so I did my homework and started building rods and slowly it started growing. And because you're in the sport, you're talking to people about the sport. And so what was really cool is a lot of guys would provide the feedback that you needed to make a better product. So it'd be like, Hey man, you may, you know, I'd show them, you know, you could do this better. And, and, and in that research started getting to the point where we were making products that people really liked. And I had a couple of buddies that weren't sponsored that were fishing at the higher level and they were using rods and testing them at the higher level. And, but in the middle of that, I really was doing those rods so that I could fish more. I mean, it was, it was just, you know, if you love fishing, you're going to help them. You know what I mean? So I was making fish rods. And uh, I work for a really cool company who I'm still with right now, Buck Knives. And they were supporting a lot of my fishing at the time and they still are now. And, I had to kind of step back from the role I had with them. And I decided 
I think in 2015, I thought, and, and well, I had a pretty good deal. Actually, what happened in 2015 is really just a good story. Is uh, my buddy Polinick was helping me design a lot of rods. He'd come home after his elite events and be home for the winners and stuff, and we would design and make rods. And it wasn't so much that he was going against his, uh, you know, he wasn't breaking any of his contracts. That guy just doesn't do that. But if you show a fisherman a fishing product, he's going to talk fishing about it. He's going to look at it. He's going to use it. You know what I mean? It's like fishermen talk fishing products. Like, well, you know, I like this and I like that. And and at one point, um, <clears throat> I think in 15, he goes, hey, you we really got something here. Let's let's take this. Let, I want to be part of it. And I said, nah. <laughs> I said, no, my deal with Buck is too good. I'm raising kids. I'm not doing it. I like being at home in my local tournament scene. I'm not going to do it. And a couple of years later, uh, the bug got me and I, and uh, the bug for me was we made the first Bassmaster team championship, which was, I think that was in, I think it was in 2016 or something, me and my team partner. And I got to travel across the country and fish a different lake up against a bunch of hammers. And that was it for me. That was, I wanted to do that. That's all I wanted to do. You know what I mean? <clears throat> so the best part of the story is in 2017, I called Brandon back. I said, I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to switch my roles at Buck to a little bit lesser role and go after this alpha angler and fish professionally. <clears throat> but are you in? He goes, no. <laughs> he said, no. I, my deals are too good. So I'm like, what do you mean? Two years ago, you were trying to bug me about doing it, and now you're you're not interested. And so he you know, took a little talk in, and he finally called me and said, I'm in. And the best part of the whole story was I was at the second year's team championship and uh, <clears throat> when he announced that he, he was going to use a different rod, he, for the first time, got fired in his career. And so th that, that whole progression, that whole timeline, you know what I mean? He got fired because he was doing something else. It really showed you how big the industry was getting and how much, you know, how much they really wanted you to be part of it. And, and you know, they have these conglomerate team deals and stuff like that. And I'm like sitting there going like, man, I'm following my dreams. I'm starting my rod company. I'm going to fish. And I just got my best friend fired. <laughs> it's like. Yes. I remember that. It was just, it was a crazy turn of events, you know? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I remember he called me like we were at the driver's meeting that night uh, before this team event, right before the driver's meeting. He tells me he gets fired. Then we bombed the tournament. I remember I've said this a million times. I remember like, if you're looking for signs from God that you're doing the right thing, you're going to have to be a little bit patient. Because <laughs> after those two signs, <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to really screwed this up. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. But we made it through. And um, this last, I fished the Opens last year. I got invited to MPFL this year. And um, so that's kind of where I'm at. I'm at that level where I get to travel. I, I get to see the East Coast. That's the hardest part for us West Coast guys is, um, you know, just you, you, you see almost every West Coast guy goes East. You know, you just, that travel so crazy. So, right. Yeah. Well, eventually. Yeah, what have you been your uh, initial uh, impressions on the NPFL compared to, like, you know, say the Opens that you've gone to? I mean, what, what was the atmosphere like going into the first ever, you know, inaugural event of the NPFL? Um, you know, everybody has apprehensions, but I, I thought it was awesome. I think they're doing it right. I think they're doing – I think I think it. they're – this is my take on it. I think they're based on the fact that there's not enough professional spots for the guys that really want to do it. And I, mm -hmm. so I watched and he said it. He said, no matter where we go these days because of the growth of this sport, if you're fishing Wednesday tournaments, you're fishing Sunday afternoons, it doesn't matter. 
guys are hammers. They're everybody, you know, guys, if this sport is full of hammers and just being able to be in the sport is the heart in my part, in my opinion, the hardest part. And I think MPFL came out with a way for, you know, guys that didn't start in college, you know, I didn't start in college. I had a job and I've got two kids. You know what I mean? It's not as easy. They put together a platform that I think is extremely competitive, but rewards a guy that's going to give up a bunch of money and time to go follow his dreams. And so, and anything that's new is always, you know what I mean? Like I'm not knocking the old school versus the new school, but I did feel like when we were there, they were, they're in it for real. I mean, it was cool to be part of it. It was run well and it was, it was freaking competitive. It was cool. Yeah. So I think something that's important to note that you and I have spoken about um, previously is, you know, people like to knock something, especially something new. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think the biggest thing I heard about the NPFL that people didn't like was that the website was down or that they're having issues with live because of the technology couldn't handle the capacity that was being presented to it, right? The amount of numbers. And what I told you is, uh, is I think that that is actually a compliment to NPFL and what they did because not only one does it allow them to make adjustments for event two, but that means that there is so much traffic going towards that event that it, there was so much, so many people trying to view, trying to keep up, trying to browse the page that they couldn't handle it because there was obviously beyond it. They surpassed their expectations of what was to come for that event. And I think if anything, obviously it's, it creates your room to get more comfortable with the software and technology that NPFL needs. So obviously you're making the right adjustments. So it's a good thing. Uh, and I think it's a compliment and you know that you're going to have the watch time. You're going to have the viewers, you're creating a fan base. So I think obviously there's this one, this one tiny small hiccup that in, I mean, if not already, it's already been forgotten about. And now it's just all plus it's all growth from here. And you already know that there's people coming to watch. So I was like, that was one thing I really wanted to note because you hear all this negativity. Um, I shouldn't say all this because there really wasn't that much, but I did hear comments on the side about it. And I just think that there's a lot of positive to be taken out of a small hiccup like that because it means that you're on the step to on the right, right, right direction is what I'm trying to get in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is. I, I get take all of the comments and stuff and human nature is always going to resist change. Right. But oh, it, it was cool that people were watching. And even if you didn't think that you were, I mean, <clears throat> I'll tell you what, go back and watch John Sukup run live scope with a jerk bait. I don't care what, I don't care what uh, tournament circuit he's in. I don't care who he is. I don't care if the guy's name was something. I don't care. That was stinking amazing. And I was fishing that same flat with him on day two, and I watched him. He was literally chasing fish around that he pushed off a brush pile. That that's crazy. You and if you don't, if you don't, I don't care what circuit is, you just love fishing. You're gonna watch that. Like yeah. I, I wanted to see it. I got to watch it from my boat, and it was miserable. Like I watched him catch the double. You know what I mean? And I was sitting there like, and, and I'm telling you, it, it doesn't really matter. I, I just think it's an awesome. They did a really good job of putting cool fishing in front of people. And so I hope, I think it'll continue. I'm glad to be part of the first year. And so, well, like I said, who cares what they say? It's like the, the other side of it is never let a good disaster go to waste too. Right. The more people right. complain about something, the more attention it gets. It doesn't really matter either way. Any publicity is good publicity. 
Yes, exactly. One thousand percent. I mean, look at the the Max sent being banned by MLF and how much hate <sighs> the MLF got for it. But how many people went out and bought flatworms? More Max sent yeah. because of it. Yeah, like yeah. I saw numerous. Oh, uh, that numerous was funny. That went and said they're like. They're like, I just went out and bought Maxit because apparently it's so good it got banned. And I totally realized it was April Fool's. I'm like, well, marketing worked. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> you got duped. If, if that was Boyd Duckett, I don't care whose idea it was. It was stinking genius. <laughs> it was genius. You, you can't buy Maxit anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whoever came up with that deserves a raise because yeah, that exactly. was very smart. I'll uh, tell you what, I'm glad I have 60 to 80 bags of flatworms. <laughs> Sitting in my boat and in my basement, so I'm, we might I'm need ready. to talk. We might need to talk here. To <laughs> small Mount Derby in the middle of the summer. We might need to talk. Yeah. Well, I, so here, here's the deal, and I'm kind of going to expose this for when people listen. There's like four or five websites that I have in my history that I literally just load on the flatworm page every day at 9 a.m. and noon, and as soon as they <laughs> pop into stock, I buy ten bags every time. Yeah. Do you, are you down with time. product trades? Because I know a guy that owns a rod company that is going to need some flatworms. <laughs> no, but I mean, if you do come this way, we can go smallmouth fishing. I guide um, on Lake Erie, so out of Buffalo, the best part of Lake Erie. That would be awesome. I, we, I think we have Winnebago this year, so it'll be my first uh, trip to something like that. And I don't think that's completely considered Northeast, but... I'm just excited to so have a small amount. That's Midwest, I'm actually yeah. pretty certain, because that's what, Wisconsin? Yeah. yeah. So That should be fun, though. Super cool. I th- I like that. Shower, right? I mean, a couple guys are complaining, that, you know, like, man, this right Patman where we're going next week is, um, it's kind of the jungle. I'm calling it Jurassic Park. You know, getting around is going to be tough. You know, that like kind fun. of stuff. Yeah, it, it does. But um, but then they put Winnebago on there, which a lot of guys were like, hey, that's kind of cool. That brings some attention to a different area that doesn't normally get traffic. So mm-hmm. super cool. Yeah, I, I like the opportunity awesome. that NPFL has with everyone fishing three days of the different storylines that you can get on a fishery that has capable of these, you know, 20 to 30 pound bags of some storylines that you can you can create from something like that. Right. Yeah. Or, you know, you hear in bass, right, of a guy who goes in the 10th on day four and then wins. I think of the storylines that you could get with everyone still in the field on the last day. Now, I'm not saying somebody towards the bottom, obviously, you know, goes and gets in the top 10 or something like that. But you could you could yeah. probably have some opportunities for some crazy stuff. So that's what I think oh, yeah. cool about that as well. But they got especially a lot of- in Texas. Yeah, totally in Texas. They got a lot of flack for it. I mean, I think mostly some of the anglers are used to that. Hey, you kind of made the top 10. You get to be out on your own. You you have this comfortable, I made the top 10 feeling that I can't get any lower, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but but on the flip side, remember when Aaron Martins won? It wasn't Erie. It was, uh, it was a Northern Lake, though, because they had shortened three days of the tournament. And he came Champlain. back from 20. Champlain. He won. Or was, what's the one north of Erie, the little one, the round one? Uh, St. Clair. Yeah, he won St. Clair. And he was in 28th or something. <clears throat> and, <clears throat> excuse me, that made a cool – I mean, like, he came back because they fished the whole field the second day or the third day or whatever. And so I think that that was – that's a pretty impressive feat. You know what I mean? Yeah, it is. So I think, you know, on a guy that can go hammer out a massive bag the last day, I don't care what place you're in, you're not safe until you win it. So 
Yeah. I'm pretty sure with that. Definitely. <clears throat> well, I think this is a good segue into, you know, we were talking about stuff you're, you're going to be fishing, and it brings me into a segue of, I want to talk about you as an angler. What what are your strengths? Where does your comfortable comfortability lie as an angler, like fishing style, technique? Um, and also on the flip side of it, you know, what do you think is your weakness? What's your kryptonite? <laughs> um, well, because of the way we fish up here, I, I feel like I've gotten to be a better offshore guy. I like to be offshore. I, I don't feel like, you know, like Brian thrifts, like I don't fish on shore cause that's easy, <laughs> but like getting behind a hundred guys and it might be easy for him. It's not for me. So I, I prefer to be offshore using my electronics. I mean, I can flip and pitch, but, um, I will tell you that I feel like this next tournament on Wright Patman would be my weakness because there isn't anything offshore. It's all a flooded mud flat and, you know, there's stumps and things like that. But really when you have to be, you know, when everything is the same, you know, it, the place is covered in bushes. Um, normally in my situation, when I fish tournaments like that, I go find what's completely different than what's so obvious. Right. And normally that's an offshore deal. So mm-hmm. I like to be, and with the advent of all of this technology, um, it's just made it made it better to be off there. We were talking uh, just a couple hours ago about all of the technology for offshore fishermen. We've never sold more jerkbait rods ever in the history of alpha angler. And that offshore, that jerkbait active target live scope has completely changed the industry. You know what I mean? People are using a jerkbait in ways they never did before, made it relevant again. I, I like that a lot of the capabilities that you get when you're offshore, but I would say my weakness would be flipping bushes and I should, I'm not going to proclaim that because I do got to go flip a bunch of bushes next week. But if there was one brush pile offshore in right Patman, I'd find it and fish it every day. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think, sorry, Andy, go ahead. I wasn't going to say anything at this moment. I thought I heard, that's my fault. Um, I'm kind of the same way. I like to not be on the bank whatsoever, just from the terms of a lot of guys, at least up in the north, just talking in general. Most everybody you see is going to be on the bank. So it's something just more of being doing something different that I thoroughly enjoy. Um, so I could definitely see where you're coming from on that front. Um, but I guess I guess on the flip side, talking about you know your, your weakness and flipping bushes, and things like that. I mean, I think that's something that I think it's obviously good to recognize it, but you're definitely going to grow if you're fishing all these Southern fisheries. Yeah. Know that at some point you're going to have to get comfortable doing something like that. Or you're going to come home with a lot of last place for sure. Right. Yeah. We'll get a couple bad finishes that hopefully will turn into lessons learned into good finishes. Yeah. And the cool thing about being a, um, owning a fisher rod company and wanting to, you know, I'm in this sport. I want to do really well as an angler, but I know where my weaknesses lie, right? And so the, the we've kind of created this community. We call it the Alphas. But I don't know so much about flipping, and so I have to find guys that know what they're doing. I, I can't come out and say, hey, I've designed this flipping rod, and I'm not the best flipper, right? I go. We have this community of guys that are good that – that you know, if they're a flipper, we're gonna we're gonna data mine the crap out of those guys to get the best rod, to understand the technique. As somebody said, uh, the, one of the best uh, analogies that I could I could kind of get after was if you get around a really good flipper, the nuances in flipping 
versus the nuances in, say, drop shotting. Flipping is 10 times crazier. I mean, to the line color, to the noise the line makes going through the type of vegetation. Like, I thought drop shotting was a technique that had a lot of expertise. And, you know, not even close. Right? The, that, the old school flipper could, could talk for hours and you couldn't write down fast enough. And that's not somewhere that I would like, I really excelled with. So I had to find flippers, guys that would lend their expertise, one to teach us how to do it, but also to, so that we could make products that a guy grabbing a flipping stick would want to use. Right. So mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a secondary benefit to me where in the search to make the best rods that we can, I'm also data mining these, you know, these great flippers. I remember asking the best flippers in the Northwest, cause we've got some good ones just, just to, you know, help us design rods and, <clears throat> a great another great example is the Louisiana guys. They fish canals, right? I sold a few rods to them to come back and be like, "Hey, can you make this shorter?" I'm so like, "Why?" You know, the whole rod market is going longer and longer and longer, and then you realize that they're fishing such tight quarters, and they pretty much developed a lot of our shorter power rods. Mm. And it wouldn't be anything that we would have the expertise to do. But I learned a lot from those processes of developing products for them and trying to make it just perfect. So yeah. I kind of get to double dip a little there. As a, and I think that's good. You know, obviously, yeah. you see these companies that have, you know, one rod designer, you know, somebody who kind of builds them all towards his, he might get a little input here and there, but kind of builds them to how he thinks he should be, has a few guys test them out. And that's kind of the further extent, but like you're really diving into multiple different avenues of people whose strengths, core strengths are these different techniques and therefore using the majority of that data, what they've given you to therefore create a technique-specific rod. Uh, I think that's really smart. Uh, I think that's kind of why Alpha Angler has become noted as one of the higher-performing rods on the market, for just for that sole reason, is because it's so technique-specific, and that's where you see a lot of these anglers that are serious about bass fishing, especially on the tournament side, obviously going is this technique-specific um, realm of, of everything for their gear, right? So I think that's, that's a great way to kind of build the business. And, and that's something I, I've kind of been curious of, to ask you is, well, first of all, I'm curious what rods you as the owner use most in your arsenal um, for Alpha Angler. What rods are you have in your hands the most that oh, well. you've obviously created? I use, um, I mean, we, we made a couple of them that were just kind of the jack of all tra trade rods, which is like a 7.3 medium, medium heavy, which in the fishing industry, I think is, I mean, you could just do so much with it. And then like spinning rods, we use a seven foot medium that is called our wrench, but it's so dependent on where you go. It's like, so I had to leave all of my, my, uh, I'll give you a good example. I have to leave my truck and boat on the East coast and just fly back and forth because there was no way I could, I was just, it was too much time on the road. And I find myself to every tournament I'm going and shipping a tube of rods down. And when I left here, my boat was full of rods. You know what I mean? I'm still shipping down a bunch more rods. And our general manager's like, what are you doing, man? And I'm stuffing this tube full of new rods. And like for this tournament, I'm stuffing them full of all of the shorter rods. So I use them all. I'm the cool thing about being the owner is, you know, you're going somewhere cool and you feel like there's maybe a hole in the lineup. We start working on stuff. We're actually yeah. working on a couple of prototypes because of the evolution of the way guys are using chatterbaits and some of these smaller S waivers and stuff like that. <clears throat> so we, we get to work on stuff like that and get them in the hands. And then every one of the areas we go to, you just, you just, you're going to evolve and you kind of become the area you're at. You know what I mean? Like when I was at Ufala, everybody was throwing a big spinnerbait offshore. 
you know, then what rod is that? Right. And by the time you're done with seven days of fishing in a place like that, you've really kind of understood what works and what doesn't. And then you start playing around with what's available. Yeah. So I use them all <clears throat> and I'm the hardest user. I mean, I'm known for busting everything. So I'm also one of the best testers, you know, <laughs> just just like, test to the yes. yeah. <laughs> He's like, will you, you know, like quit stepping on stuff. Like I step on everything, you know, we got a big 21 foot boat constantly standing on stuff, breaking it. So if it can withstand me, it can yeah. withstand about it's everything. <laughs> yeah. I like a rod that can uh, take a fish bouncing off of it because I have a no net rule when I'm fun fishing. So we both flip everything and fish just flop around, break rod tips and crap Busty. all the time. Especially yeah. <laughs> smallmouth. The oh. two and a half small, pound smallmouth will not control the motor off your boat if you're not careful. <laughs> yeah, It'll take you in the water with it, hook both your fingers together and somehow attach to your jeans. Yeah. So it's just like, oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, we call them the devil fish. I want to, I want a rod that can withstand the uh, the slingshot technique when you have a a lure hung up, so you slingshot your rod down to grab. I broke a rod tip today. That's why I'm bringing it up. Doing yeah. that, I got a football jig stuck, so I just took my rod and slingshot it down to grab it off. And I felt to hit the thing. I felt to hit the jig. Jig came undone, but I heard a sound, and I'm like, I totally just busted a tip, and I bring back up, and it's gone. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> you pop the ceramic guide insert out of the guide. Yeah, it's never good. <laughs> break a six hundred. Yeah, break a five hundred dollar rod for a three dollar jig. I've done that a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, lesson learned. Don't do that on rock. But yeah, don't just don't be lazy like me and use a slingshot technique rather than getting down <laughs> and actually getting it out. <laughs> but Point uh, taken. yeah, but dude, so you brought up Chatterbait really fast. And I always bring it up. I'm sure the listeners are maybe even getting annoyed at this point because Andrew and I always talk about this. But you, as a owner of a rod business, I think we can get a very valid opinion, Andrew, disagree or agree, that Jake can kind of give us his opinion on the whole glass composite graphite chatterbait deal. Jake, like you, which one? Yeah. Yeah. Like, which what, one what, for what which? Or which one do you prefer? Um. So I'm a glass guy, and so is uh, Polikinik, my buddy Polinik. Um, but <laughs> I, Wait, what was that nickname? Polikinik. Polikinik. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, he's gonna be mad. At me. Uh, <laughs> he, he's a gla- he's a glass guy too, and um, but I'll tell you this: the one thing I've noticed, and the, the more guys that I have that are competitive and use it. Um, in my opinion, with a chatterbait, it's a personality trait. And I know that sounds mm-hmm. dumb, but I had a couple guys that were really good fishermen that were really laid back about – I mean, they just had that laid back personality. You know, the guy that you know you could never get riled up. Mm-hmm. And and then the guy like me that <clears> – like you make a little too loud of a noise or I feel a little tick and I've swung and jumped four feet in the air, right? And the thing about a chatterbait – Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is I almost feel like that really uh, – quick response or that mass math that quick reaction i think that you probably go with a little bit more of a glass rod to slow down the impact of that chatterbait and i I can't remember who it was but somebody told me a story like when you really crack a chatterbait hard you're actually they you know they come in behind it and they grab it and they they actually fold the blade down on the bait and when you crack them really hard you push that blade up and it's kind of like a weed guard going through their mouth that's the only math i really have with that but when I went to a glass rod, I was sticking them back in the back of their throats and I was landing them. 
And so, but that being said, our number one selling rod is the Chatterbound and it has a glass tip with a composite back end. And so it kind of has a little bit of both. The problem with like an all glass rod with some guys is that they're throwing around a lot of heavy cover. And if you don't have, if you don't have like some meat after you hook them to pull them away, they're going to own you. And so we've kind of got both and I've used both. And um, I'll give you guys one of our biggest secrets, the guys that are winning a lot of money up here um, in cold, cold water, like 45 into 50, 52. The guys are actually using our deep cranking rod because it's all glass. It's called the mag rebound. And I think what, I think what they're finding out is that those fish will eat that bait and come at you, but because they're eating it because it's so cold, they don't, you don't feel a thump. You just feel the blade go away that they're, that longer rod is absorbing some of that is allowing to get it in and allowing you to make up some line without snapping that bait out. And we've sold a lot of two guys up there. So my, my, my answer to that is anytime you find a guy that says, this is the perfect rod for this, I will find you an equal and opposite guy. That's won a lot of money using the exact opposite rod. Now, maybe not exact opposite, but, and it comes down to the angler. I mean, I've had this argument with, you know, somebody like a great, like somebody like Brandon, who's going to say, this is the rod you do this with. It's, it's perfect for him, but I've, we've been really careful to say that's not, that's not textbook because whatever you land fish with your technique, whatever you're doing, especially if you're cash and checks with it, that's the best for you. Mm-hmm. But as far as chatterbaits, I'm a class guy. So yeah. I agree with you, Andrew. <laughs> I, yeah. I told Andrew I wasn't anti-glass, but I come from graphite where I didn't really have an issue at all losing fish or missing bites. But I told him, I'm like, as your friend, I'm going to try glass and give it a shot. I just haven't caught enough fish on it to even try. And I picked it up a little bit today, but the, it figures the one time Andrew picks it up and tries my rod, jams a four and a half down the gullet. <laughs> so I was like, okay, okay. Like there's a little bit of proof in the pudding, but I just need to put more time into to figure it out. But it's just something fun that we kind of, we bicker about it. And yeah. uh, I think my, my question for you in terms of alpha angler is, and I'm really curious about this, is um, a rod that you've built that you feel most proud of out of your lineup and, you know, maybe something that is a little, you know, maybe selecting, it might even be another rod that might be different than what the majority of everybody has on the market. Mm, That's a great question. Oh, this is a tough one. I didn't mean to Um, stop. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, you got me. But um, that's a super good question. I'll, I'll tell you this. My bad. I think one of the coolest rods we've made that I think defines like our company is, or, or what I love about my company, what I love about this sport and why I want to be part of it so much is I had a guy from the Great Lakes call me up and say, I want this custom rod. And I remember saying that is dumb. <laughs> like that's dumb. Why would we make that? That doesn't fit in any of the math that I have. And it's simple rod. It's the top hammer and he's throwing uh, top waters a long way. And I remember when we made that rod, <clears throat> it had this short handle and I just, it just didn't fit into the math that I believed in at the time. It was graphite, but it was a moving bait rod. And um, that rod has taken off. It could do a ton of different things, but it was uh, it was brought by um, some. It was a, a guy that's fishing all the time. Sorry, and it was his idea. It didn't fit the math, but it's a fish catching machine. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of being able to be close enough to the base of guys that are fishing that we could create something that just doesn't, have, it doesn't even stack up on paper. Right. But it is, it is a crazy rod. I weighed three of the fish that you follow that I weighed on that rod. And it's like, it just is an awesome, it's the old school seven foot medium that we used to always use all the time. And we just brought it back in a different version because of, because of this idea this guy had. So I would say that that, Maybe that that rod 100%, but out of all the rods, that's one of the ones that I'm most – I think that's cool, man. I think that if somebody called me tomorrow and said, dude, I've got the very best new square bill rod idea, I want to hear it because I want to do it. You know what I mean? I don't care if it comes on a pink blank that's got zebra wraps on it. If it catches more fish, we're going to make it, right? All right. So that, I would have to say that. I, I like that. The Louisiana guys that developed our 611 power skipping rod. I thought it was the dumbest idea in the world because, I mean, well, who needs 611, right? We have a 7.3. That's four inches. Ne- negligible. But if you've ever had to throw a spinnerbait around docks or skip under docks, like that four inches is huge. And so that kind of stuff I think is cool. And not yeah. to give my buddy Joe LaBarbera any extra props. You know, I don't want him to be said to get too big. But I, I think that evolution, that opportunity, um, I think that I'm more proud of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. To be able to be in contact with guys of fishing. Because fishermen will talk fishing. It doesn't matter if oh, yeah. you're in the industry. We won't talk fishing. So yeah. It's like to listen to your, your customers yeah. and the people actually using your product. I think that's huge and speaks volumes. I would love to have been a fly on the wall the first time a dude, the guy that invented the chatterbait, showed a professional angler. Just would love to have been part of that. Like, dude, this thing's going to be awesome. I'm pretty sure they were all like, huh I mean, that thing revolutionized the sport, right? Just yeah. kind of like live target is. And it was a blade on a jig head. And I remember, I can guarantee the first time I saw one, I was like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I know. I'm guilty. Yeah. <laughs> what is this thing? Yeah. <laughs> I, Luke Clausen, was, everybody was trying to keep the A-Rig a secret because he was friends with my team partner. He told us about it. And I remember the first time I saw I had that we had the A-Rig before it got banned, before anybody else in the Northwest. We had the A-Rig for a full year and I threw it three times and threw it back in the boat. So that's the dumbest thing ever. Oh my yeah. gosh. I know you like that's fishing, right? That's it's the crazy part of this sport. Yeah, that's, that's true. What I mean, I listened to a show where Kevin Van Dam said he had the Ned rig brought to him, you know, a couple of years before it even became a big thing. He's like, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Now everyone's got them rigged up everywhere. Yep. That's how much money has been won on a Ned rig, right? And yeah. they just keep biting it. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think, dude, what we're going to do to wrap things up, uh, I got one last question before you before we wrap it up with our, our kind of like our concluding question. But um, Andrew, do you have anything for Jake here before we start wrapping things up? Yeah. If I were to buy a rod, I have like scoped around. I'm a huge drop shot fisherman. It's my favorite thing to do. What is – I, I want a versatile drop shot rod to where I can fish deep with it, but has enough power and a soft enough tip to pull fish out of grass, like sparse grass. What would be the best rod to go with, in your opinion? Uh, I, I think you'd probably like our drop shot rod. It's called the DSR drop shot rod. It's funny because like when I drop shot, <clears throat> if I'm around largemouth, I grab a heavier rod, right? Because you're going to up power everything. Mm-hmm. And, and that rod, to give him no more credit than he deserves, but Paul and it completely designed that rod. And last year when he won Santee Cooper, if you guys remember, he 
he found a brush pile. He saw it on his 360 and caught like an eight pounder out of it. Yeah. Well, I remember like he was telling the story. He had to stop. He had to shut. He had to stop and retie so he could throw the drop shot into this brush pile. And I'm like, well, what'd you retie? Did you grab a wrench or something? Something with some horsepower? Because you know if they eat it out of that brush pile, he's like, no, I use the drop shot. Like he, you were fishing for eight pound Santee Cooper fish with a drop shot rod, the same rod that he won Champlain with, with six pound test. He just tied eight pound test on it and pulled an eight pounder out of a brush pile. I would have never done that, but it shows the versatility of that rod. He doesn't, <clears throat> he, he was really adamant about the really light tip drop shot rods. And we tested this too. We did a bunch of, I call it, you know, you know, yeah. backyard engineering tests, but it's got like um, an yeah. extra fast, super soft tip, but enough backbone to yeah. pop them. It's well, perfect. the extra fast, super soft tip is the problem with it is it, it absorbs vibration. Vibration is, mm-hmm. you know, I don't care what your material is. Vibration is transmitted through stiffer materials, no matter what. So when you get a really soft tip, that's just vi- that's just absorbing vibration, which is in our in our in fishing terminology, that's sensitivity. And Brandon was adamant. You, you need to be able to feel things that uh, really extra, extra fast isn't going to do it. And so we we went round and round, but the our DSR that we make is not extra fast. It's fast. It actually uses a lot of the power of the blank when you set the hook, but we think that it adds quite a bit more sensitivity because you don't have that tip of absorbing what you really need to feel. So, mm-hmm. so it's actually the opposite. Mm-hmm. And that was something that he really kind of, that was his idea he brought to the table that a lot of us, I mean, Math, drop shot math is extra fast, super light tip, but you know it, it makes sense now that we've actually put it into into a product and see how it works. That that's that wasn't really in what in our opinion the case, so. but it would be the drop shot rod. I mean, Brandon has done a lot of damage with that one particular rod. I would have grabbed a bigger rod in in largemouth water, but he proved you don't have to, I guess. Yeah. Well, I think that's the one thing that put me on to Alpha Angler a few seasons back was watching Palinik use the DSR on St. Lawrence. Yeah, he just whoops him with it. <clears throat> but he, and he loves it. I mean, like, he's really good at something that should be just what you would think is easy. He's really good at it, but he he's really refined that technique. So, in my yeah. opinion, I mean, the way he put – the way he comes back and even critiques the rod that we have done, you know what I mean? He he can he can tell if we missed a little bit on guide spacing. He's really dialed into that deal. Yeah, that's crazy to me because that's something like Andrew's more dialed into that equipment. I'm a tinkerer. Yeah, yeah, very much a tinker. Where I'm just like, okay, give me it. I want to use it, and that's the sort of thing I want to figure out the fish. Where I like, at least for me, like when I'm coming when it comes to me, like I'm missing bites or something like that. The first thing I think of is either bait or what am I doing wrong versus maybe it's just something small within my equipment that I could fix. So it's like, yeah. that's my, one of my faults is like, I don't understand equipment to an extent that I'd like to, at least I might as much as I need to, but as much as I'd like to like guide spacing, like I'm probably never in my lifetime <laughs> to be able to like this guide needs to be a little bit further up or down and be able to tell you where it's going to be better. I'm never going to be able to tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> just, so that's, it's cool to see how dialed some people will be. Um, something like that where they can kind of have that mental capacity and that intelligence to be like, this will be better if you just move it or adjust so-and-so and it'll make it better. It's, that's kind of cool to see. And honestly, quite frankly, I'm jealous because I'm, I'm <laughs> not mental capacity to do that. <laughs> well, I think honestly, I think it's a personality type. Like how many times have you seen, 
A guy just like, yeah, I just grabbed the chatterbait and went down the bank and wailed on him and didn't think about anything. He's just a natural, right? And then there's again yeah. the guys that are super thought process oriented. They think about things and it, I honestly think it's just fits the fisherman, right? You see a guy, oh, what'd you, what'd you, what line were you throwing on? No, I don't know. You know, you know, like you ever seen what line are you throwing that on? You know, and you'll pull on it. I think it's 15. Oh, it might be 17. I don't know. It could be 20. <laughs> you know, I don't know. <laughs> 25 big game. <laughs> I, and I, I absolutely hate talking to those guys about rod design because it's like, they're like, well, yeah, I use a seven foot. What is this thing? Oh yeah, it's a seven three. I use a seven three. I don't even know what they picked up. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's the guys like in the in the commercials, like if they'll have like a specific rod that they're doing like for their sponsor, right? And they're sitting there and they're like doing the commercial, but you see in the commercial they look down to see what the rod is in the <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's but like, they still but they stack them stuff. up, right? Yeah, there's like you could give them anything you want, and that guy's gonna go down the bank and wail on them. And then there's the other guy that's gonna be like, the reason you missed that fish is because you know, uh, I'll tell the best story. My favorite story about sensitivity was one of the guys up here who we call him. He's kind of a genius. He's like, you know, you ever notice when a guy gets a, a, a bite, he's always like that thing hit it. He pulled it. He thumped it. Right. The, the feeling like that thing, that fish came and got it and was pulling it away from you. And he's like, oh, I'm going to watch the video. Watch what a bite really looks like. And you're like, all right. So I did. And I realized I watched a bunch of video when your guy gets a bite. When he, especially with a bottom contact bait, the tip doesn't go down towards the fish. It goes back. And I'm like, so I call him back. I'm like, all right, I get it. What's going on? He goes, the thump you feel is the fish taking the weight off the bait. He's sucking it into his gullet, and he actually took the weight away. He took the tension off the line, and you felt thump, and your rod went backwards, not down and in it. You know, they don't eat it that way. They suck it up off the bottom. And I mean, like, when I thought about that, I'm like, man, I know nothing about bass fishing. <laughs> I remember, like, I'm like, oh my god, he's right. I know nothing. Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't yeah. even think of that. I'm gonna, that's all I'm gonna think about now. You know, now that I'm like throwing a jig or creeping something, that's all I'm gonna think about. I was like, oh yeah, I got throttled, and really, it's just yeah, you just pick it up off the ground, off the bottom. Yeah. That's it. That's it. <laughs> <You> just... <laughs> yeah. Sometimes maybe it's better to not know, <laughs> but like, yeah. And sometimes right. they do rip it out of your hand. Smallmouth going the other way, take a spinnerbait right out of your hand. But that that one time when I when he told me that story, that was that was probably when I was about my third or fourth year in rod design when I really started going. Yeah, like exactly. I'm like, I know nothing about bass fishing. I'm going to start from zero. <laughs> really, man, I want to be <laughs> a student of the game. <laughs> what does a bass bite look like? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is crazy. Well, Andy, uh, anything left for, for Jake before we hit him with our last question? No, I just want to say thank you. Um, I am going to look into that drop shot rod. So um, I'm I'm going to float around here and look at different rods and reels and stuff. I used to be a huge Iowa guy. I bought some Shimano's recently and he would not can attest it. I, I could cast a quarter ounce, three inch Kitek like 50 feet further than Bailey could with a spinning rod and braid. <laughs> That's for the big caster. Yeah, it was the it was it was the SLX MGO. Was that MGL, the, yeah. Auto MGL. It, it was the was SLX it a rod MGL. or the real? The real. That the that rod, stinking SLX DC. Have you guys tried that thing? I, I got like not. a Corrado DC. I don't have the SLX DC. Oh though. man, that thing will win a casting competition. That thing launches them. So I got whooped by my co-anchor a couple tournaments ago. 
by, by like about 50 feet of cast. <laughs> yeah. So um, with the SLX MGL, I had 12 pound test on it and I was dang near draining three quarters of the spool on a cast. It's like a hundred yards at 12 pound it holds, I think. That's crazy. And with That's a quarter cool. ounce weight, a quarter ounce weight in a 7.2, just a standard like medium fast action casting rod. See, yeah. that's why it's cool about fishing. Now I got to go look it all up. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to throw farther than everybody else. I'm competitive. That's awesome. Yeah. But that, the crazier part about that reel is, which got me super excited, I never had my thumb on the spool. Huh, that's crazy. That's it hit the water and just stopped. I had, I got it so dialed with this bait that I could throw it you couldn't back super it. far. And it never you couldn't backlash. backlash though because it was out of line, right? Like, what was it gonna be? Yeah, what was no line of backlash. <laughs> yeah, it was out of line, so. <laughs> but that's yeah, the thing, that's it awesome. doesn't even like jump off the reel on the cast, it's just smooth. I was blown yeah. away. Yeah, that was the uh, the that SLX DC when I the first time I watched that thing get launched around. That was impressive. <laughs> yeah, it makes a weird noise those. and it's just still flying. I remember looking back on that thing is still humming, and this is a bait soaring through the air. <laughs> that dude's fishing the other side of the bay. <laughs> yeah, he cast, you cast right after him. Your bait hits the water. His thing's just still going. <laughs> yeah, sailing. That's fun. Like I gotta get some of those. Yes. <laughs> My first thought, my first thought was something like, "Well, let's see, you set the hook at that distance, buddy." You know what I mean? Like jealous. <laughs> yeah, try to get a hook in him. Uh, you know. I, I, I can attest to when we're talking about that fifteen to twenty fit, like that fifteen fish to twenty minute run. There, that was all out that little quarter ounce swim bait, throwing it a country mile, That's and they were hitting it like in the first crank of the reel. Jeez, that's awesome. <laughs> Dumb. Makes me want to go fishing. Makes me jealous. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jake, dude, we're not going to keep you too much longer here. Uh, but our last question for you that we like to ask everybody that's new to the show um, is that if you could sit down, have a beer, have a steak with three different individuals, um, doesn't have to be fishing industry. Uh, they don't have to be presently alive. They could have been throughout any of wherever the timeline you, your heart desires. Uh, any three individuals that you love to sit down and have a beer, have a steak, and pick their brain, who are you going to invite? Uh, well, that was easy. Number one, Jesus. So you said anybody. So that he'd be the first one. Anybody, yep. Yep, Jesus, number one. <clears throat> and, I mean, who do you ask after that? He probably knows everything. And ask him about bass fishing. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, <laughs> Tell me real. secrets. <laughs> number one, yeah, the king. Number two, um, probably Gary Klaus. Hmm. I I love what he's done at what with that boat brand. I remember when that boat brand was nothing, and I I fish out of one of them, and and whatever boat brand you like, I love that he's uh, an elite, and and he's he, he's in the industry. Like what I talked about was so cool. Um, number three, that's a tough one. I get I'm blessed to get to talk to guys like Paul and Nick and. You know, one of my other good buddies is Zach Burge. I get to talk to these guys, so it'd have to what be somebody. About, uh, what about, like, an, an athlete or a coach? Are you a sport guy at all? Oh, yeah. Mark Few. Good Mark call. F I don't know the name. Mark Few is the coach of the Gonzaga uh, Bulldogs. Oh. Um, that just uh, lost the championship in the Final Four. Okay. Why him? Yeah. 
I'm curious. Uh, just this amazing coach. I mean, he's got this tiny little Spokane, Washington basketball team, and he's always a competitor every year. It's cool. I think uh, what I like about him is student of the game. I dig yeah. that student of the game mentality, that tiny little, the little tiny things that eventually add up into, you know, pulling something off. Somebody told me one time this theory is like, you work your butt off for 20 years and all of a sudden you're an instant, instant success, right? That's, something, that's all the outside sees. But that 20 years was tiny little pieces right. that, that make the puzzle. Uh, yeah. Like you're like you're Brock Mosley right now, right? That guy's got like four second places in elite events. But I'm telling you what, he's putting all these little blocks together, you know, those tiny little pieces. He's going to start winning. He's going to win all the time. Everyone's going to be like, wow, yeah, he's just good. But he endured the, all of those second places. He's just slowly working up the line. I like that student of the game. Few would be a good one. Yeah. Yeah, few. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, he's yeah. been there for what twenty five years. And yeah, had a winning season like every year or something. Yeah, he's won the WCC championship. I think ninety percent of his career. Just crazy. The super cool. Heck yeah, dude. That's an awesome three. Well, dude, yeah. we uh, we just want to say thank you first and foremost for obviously taking time out of your day to join us here and. Not only teach us a little bit about Alpha Angler and what you got going on over there, but also uh, about yourself and uh, yourself as an angler, teaching us, giving us a lot of really good nuggets today, uh, some really good information. So we uh, we really appreciate you coming on, and obviously you are always welcome on the show, and we uh, appreciate you just taking the time, dude. Yeah, no, thank you guys. Thank you so much for the opportunity and for the little uh, rod company out of the Northwest getting putting us on your show. Thanks for letting me talk fishing. I mean, it's like the yeah. best thing ever, right? Yeah. Safe yeah. travels, too. Ah, yes. uh, yeah. I fly it's out right on Friday in Texas. Yeah. Go crack <clears> them <throat> and have some fun. We'll be rooting for you. I appreciate it. Thank you guys so much. All right, Jake, man. We'll be uh, we'll be in touch with you, and uh, take care. Uh, we'll talk soon. Yep. See you guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Dude, so many good nuggets in there. Like – Talking about, I mean, okay, I want to get your opinion on this now that we talked about it with Jake, is a composite rod with a glass, obviously, tip. I've never heard that, first of all. The only one that comes to mind is a Kistler KLX reel and feel. Okay. Um, the one that has like that, like almost blonde, that like manila tip to it. Yeah. Uh, I've seen Adam Jones Jr. throwing that in some of his videos. Yeah, I've never messed around with it, but it felt good. I've always been either glass or composite, so I think that'd be a fun one to mess with because I love a glass rod or a composite rod. I love something that bends all the way through because when they eat that chatterbait, I just want to hit them as hard as I can, and I know it's going to absorb it and pin to the top of their mouth every time. Mm. So it's just... Yeah. A lot of really good nuggets there beyond just stuff about Alpha Angler, but stuff about like rod design and some of the minute yeah. things like talking about the fish picking the bait off the bottom, how you're not feeling that fish eat. You're feeling that fish take the tension off of you dragging something. Yeah. That's what's so, it's so cool to me. That's what, like one of the biggest takeaways I took from, from tonight is that. And that's not something that I'm going to see now. Like when I go out tomorrow and go drag something around, and I, I get a bit, I get bit, like hopefully I get bit, not that wood. If I get bit, like that's all I'm gonna think about. Like, oh, you just pick it up. And that's all it's gonna be. Um, but it's it's awesome. So huge shout out to Jake for obviously come up coming on the show and, and teaching us all that. Uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, dude, it's it was a really good show tonight. 
obviously, folks, if you want to get yourself in some Alpha Angler, um, some rods, obviously, I will put down the website below so you guys can go check them out. Um, Jake is a really good dude, has a lot of stories, a lot yeah. of information, and this will not be the last time that he's going to be making appearances on the show. Um, but dude, do you have anything left for the folks before we sign off here tonight? Tag us in your social media so we can share the wealth of all of your fish, fish catches. Pardon my language here. I, me and Bailey are both equally exhausted, I think, after being on the water for two days. And yeah, so pardon me. But yeah, tag us in your fish photos. And also, oh, I forgot what I was going to say now. Correct <laughs> me if I'm wrong. When this is going, I forget about it. I forgot. It's gone. This will be up on a Wednesday. So our giveaway that was recently run from Hobie Eyewear will already be done. The winners was announced on Monday Night Live. That's probably what you were getting at. That's what I was getting at. <laughs> but good, good I was, like, on that I, was yeah. like, I think I'm on the wrong timeline here. So <laughs> my bad. <laughs> but folks, if you're, if you're listening, um, if you're not already, follow us on social media. Uh, if you ever like to get in touch with us, please feel free. We are always open to chatting. And uh, we hope you guys enjoy the show. If you do and you're watching on the MP3, uh, we really encourage you guys to go down and leave us a review and a rating. Uh, helps us know if we need to make the show any better, um, but also helps us get found a little bit easier with some of these podcast algorithms and helps us get more notice, which helps us make a better show for you guys when we get that more notoriety. Um, and if you're watching on the YouTube and you're still watching right now, if you're not already, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Give this video a thumbs up. Uh, I think I think that about does it for tonight, Andrew. So I think we're going to call it because I'm going to crash as soon as we get off here and I got stuff I still have to do. Uh, so as always, folks, we appreciate you and we will see you guys next time.